The central message of Christmas, I don't think we, we realize how critically important it is to the future of not just this nation, but the world. When you think about this concept, this reality, that God became man, lived, ministered, and died on a cross and rose again from the dead, there could not be any message greater. And while we have taken holidays and relegated them to barbecues and days off, this is not a normal holiday. This day that we celebrate, this day that we remember, is so critically important to your future. Without a virgin being born, as Isaiah prophesied, the scriptures are in, incorrect. See, everything hinges on the reality of these things. You don't just bypass it and, and go, well, that's a great holiday. I love that holiday. I was um, going back and I was reading some quotes about where we are in, in terms of time and history, and I came across this one from Ronald Reagan. And it seemed appropriate in this message to begin with that he said, you and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We will preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we will sentence them to take the first step into a thousand years of darkness. If we fail, at least our, let our children and our children's children say of us, we justified our brief moment here. We did all that could be done. If there's one thing that we need to do is all that we can do, to get the message of Christ out, to stand for righteousness and truth and life and liberty in our world, that the gospel of Jesus Christ might go forth powerfully and mightily in our world. You see, our battle is not political. Our battle is against good and evil. It is a spiritual battle. And the children of this generation are at the front lines of the battlefield. I was reading an article written a few years ago in Forbes magazine, and the title intrigued me. It said, How Dictators Come to Power in a Democracy. And it began to chronicle all the dictators of the world and how every single one of them targeted children. Whether it was Herod, who wiped out a whole generation in order to somehow try to seal the fate of the coming Messiah, of which he was unsuccessful, or Adolf Hitler, or Mao who raised up children to be anti-God or no God at all. You see, no nation has ever lost two generations in a row and survived, and we have already lost one. The second generation right now is under an all-out assault by the most sophisticated anti-God manipulation technology the world has ever seen. In a day when Christians are marginalized, fired for refusing the vaccine, Students are expelled for wearing Christian t-shirts. Children are being groomed by teachers for perversion. And we are labeled racist by critical race theory advocates. We need to stand in this day that we live. I make it a point to correct every person who tells me happy holiday. It's not a holiday, it's Christmas. You see, if we don't stand, who will? If we fold, then what's gonna be left to stand and to hold on to? You see, our future hinges on the birth of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. 
Some people say, well, isn't it a myth? Isn't that just something that, that Christians came up with? Not at all. In fact, the Roman historian, Suetonius, said there had been spread all over the Orient of old an established belief that it was fated at the time for men coming from Judea to rule the world. That was in the work, the life of Vespasian. Tacticus, the Roman historian, said, there was a firm persuasion that at this very time, the East would, was to grow powerful and rulers coming from Judea were to acquire a universal empire. Josephus, the Jewish historian, reports, about the time of Christ's birth, the Jews believed that one from their own country would soon come to be the ruler of the earth. You see, this was not done in isolation. This was not written, none of these were Christian writers that recorded these things in history. You see, but we live in a day when history has also been put on the back burner and seemed to be not important. Why worry about the facts when you can live in the moment? But we have to understand the facts mean something. Our history and, our, and, and where we've come from as a people means everything. It means our very future. You see, the truth of the word of God is this, that God moves heaven and earth to reveal his plan to you and to me. Now think about that thought. God does everything he can to let you know what he's up to. And we say, I don't know what God is up to. Well, I do, it's written right in this book. It's called the Bible, the Word of God. Have you ever heard of it? It's a great book. I highly recommend it. In fact, without it, I don't have anything to say. You see, the Bible is the Word of the living God. Some people say, well, I don't like that. Well, take it up with the, uh, with the cook because I'm just the servant boy. You see, God wrote the Word that we might find life and find it more abundantly. All through history, if you go back, Jesus has, uh, has, has been seen in the pages of Old and New Testament. If I go back to the book of Numbers, it says this in Numbers 24. He who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open, I see him, but not now. I will behold him, but not near. And here's the prophecy. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. We could go back even further to the book of Genesis and find there the prediction of the coming Son of Man. But you see, God weaves his mystery into a plan, a plan that we can understand clearly. Have you heard this scripture? It says in Daniel chapter two and verse 10, there is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Why, these were the magi. These were the wise men in the, in the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and Darius. This was the great empire of the Medes and the Persians. And this dream came to the king, and none of the wise men, none of the sorcerers, none of the magicians could ever understand what was going on. And they made this statement, there's not a man on earth who can understand this dream, O king. Daniel chapter two, verse 27. Daniel shows up. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, and the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare it to the king, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. Can you say amen and amen? You see, they thought there was no answer to the dream. There was no interpreter. There was no, because the wisest in the king's kingdom could not give the answer. But I want you to know that God works in such a mighty way that he took Daniel 
and he placed him just right in the kingdom. He elevated him above all of those magi. Are you with me? This is the origin of them. And Daniel influenced them so that in the days to come, they would venture out from the east and make their way to meet the Messiah, Jesus Christ himself. And we're gonna show you more about that as we go. Look what it says in Matthew chapter two. After, uh, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. How did they know to leave the east? How did they know what to look for? How did they know that there would be one born of the Jews? They knew it from Daniel, the prophet. You see, there are prophets that are still speaking today. They're speaking through this book right now. You can open up the book and you can read of Isaiah. He wrote 700 years before the birth of Christ and he said there's coming one who will be born of a virgin. You can read in Isaiah 53, again, 700 years before the birth. He talked about a suffering servant who would die on a cross whose hands would be pierced through. What's so amazing about that truth, in 700 BC, no one was crucifying anyone. It wasn't developed later until Philip of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great, perfected and introduced it to the ancient world. And yet, Isaiah wrote, how did he know? Because he wasn't getting his information from Isaiah, he was getting his information from God. And I want you to know, if you're gonna survive this day that we live in, or any day that we live in, you're gonna to have to do it by the word of the living God. Amen? You see, what we have to understand, it's supernatural. We don't operate in the natural world alone. We must operate in the supernatural world. Do you realize if you're a Christian, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and you operate by a supernatural power, as Kim sang about earlier, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by your spirit, says the Lord. He also operates in secret. He doesn't reveal everything to everyone. In fact, in, in Matthew chapter 13, when the disciples were confused by Jesus making reference to parables, he, they said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he said, it's not for them to know, but it's for you to know what the Father has arranged. You see, God reveals secrets, and one of the secrets he revealed was that life is best lived by sacrifice. Have you ever known anyone who was recognized by how greedy they were? How mean and selfish they were? How narcissistic they were? People don't remember people in a, in a good way that are like that. How about someone who gives their life for another? Why, we remember those people. You see, Jesus gave his life for us. He gave everything for us. Though he were rich, he became poor, that we through his poverty might become the riches of God in Jesus Christ. What a great truth that is. How about this scripture? It's so basic, so well known to many Christians, that we almost take it for granted. For God so loved the world. Just think of the gravity of that statement. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I don't care how advanced you get in your faith, there's nothing better than that basic truth that God so loved the world. Now, not all the world so loves God, but those who do, it says what? They will have, not perish, but have everlasting life. 
You see, the one thing that we understand about the, the life and ministry of God is that the generosity is in the kingdom, is a kingdom principle. Listen to what it says in Matthew 2, uh, two, verses 9 through 11. When the wise men departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. You see, they said, this is it. This is it. God is speaking. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, now I want you to notice this. Sometimes we get the idea that these three wise men brought trinkets. It says they brought their treasures and they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's interesting that gold is not even the most valuable item on that list. Alexander the Great considered invading nations just for the sake of gaining their frankincense. This was riches untold. You see, what we do know by history, about history, is the Magi were not three cool guys in nice outfits showing up at the manger. I like the scene, it's just not very biblical. It's not historically accurate. Let me give you what was accurate. You see, according to Persian documents, when the Magi traveled to find the king that was to come, they took an army with them and the army usually involved 300 soldiers. Kind of a little different picture, isn't it? You see, they were the king makers. It was said that no king could ever rise to power without the approval of the Magi. You know why Herod was so upset? 300 trained soldiers coming into town. A number of Magi, maybe three, maybe more, carrying with them treasures that in today's amount, the gold alone would be over $6 million today. They were there to fund an army from the eyes of Herod. He, was, he feared his very throne. His authority would be stripped from him by this one who was born of the Jews. He inquired throughout the kingdom, tell me, who is this one? And they gave the scriptures from the Old Testament. Herod feared a powerful king was coming into town. And he did what every desperate, despotic dictator does. He attacks the children. He wiped out a whole generation of kids just to try to make sure that that one did not survive who would threaten his throne. It's the very spirit of Satan that comes and tries to destroy children. We see it in our day. It's not unusual to see people attacking children, whether it's famous designers who cloak themselves as somehow being avant-garde and somehow fashion forward, or whether it's the educational system that tries to push perversion in and through everything that's done in the classroom. It's the same kind of despotic, dictator-ruled evil that we see in every generation. In this article in Forbes, when we talk about this, how does a dictator come to power? He comes to power by attacking children. It starts in the educational system, it goes through the school system, it goes through fashion and music and all things you're considered. 
There are some things so blatant, so ugly, that I would love to show you how bad it is, but for the sake of taste and the setting we're in, I will not. Most of you know what I'm talking about. Do you realize that Instagram, that 60% of all the people that are on Instagram are under 34 years of age? 38% are under 24 years of age. That means if you take those numbers and begin to multiply them out, the influence on just one social platform is so immense that you can literally change the heart of a child. You see, the Bible says, bring up a child in the way it should go, and when he is old, he shall not depart from it. Hey, we talk about that, don't we? But we think it in the context of Christianity. But you see, the enemy does the same thing. He says, let me bring up a child in the way of evil, and when they're old, they will not depart from it either. You see, truth is truth. Principles work. You know, I love children, don't you? I love the fact that we love children and we do all we can. I think we're just going to take a little break and go live to the sledding hill. Can, you do, can we do that? All right, let's take a look at the screen. Now, the only bad thing about this is they're having a lot more fun than we are. Every time a kid goes down, it costs us about $100. <laughs> you better enjoy it, parents, all right? I was walking in today, and I got hit by a snowball. Oh, it wasn't a child. It was Ted Human threw a snowball at me. But you see, when you, when you value the things that God values, you remember the religious leaders of the day? They didn't value children, the Pharisees and Sadducees. In fact, when the children came to see Jesus, he told, he told Jesus to push them away. He said, no, such are these that are part of the kingdom of God. And if you're going to enter the kingdom of God, you must become like a little child. You know what childlike faith is like? It's just simply trusting what God says God will do. That's it. We get it so complicated. We get theology. We get all this stuff of religion. It's not that complicated. Jesus said... Love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Pretty basic, isn't it? Amen? You see, when you look at this, what, what was happening was they were setting the tone for the future. I want to take you to Luke chapter 8. Very interesting passage. Because a lot of people say, now wait a minute, then are you telling me Jesus was wealthy at his birth? Yeah, about 6 million plus wealthy in today's dollars. How'd you like to... Some of you ladies that are pregnant, how'd you like to have at your birth somebody give you $6 million? You'd be having kids all day long. I believe I can have a couple more. Instead, I got like three pack and plays. I got to take two back. But how did the ministry of Jesus, how was it propelled? Have you ever thought about that? Well, if you start with a $6 million base, you've got a pretty good run. But somehow there's this truth, that, and it's a paradox, because though he were rich, he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. And we've traditionally thought that that meant that he left the glories of, of heaven and became poor as a human being. And yet we find out in his birth he wasn't poor at all. Maybe it means that his richness at his birth, he gave it away as he went, that he fueled the work of the kingdom as he went, and in the end, he died in poverty. Ah, but there's another scripture in Luke chapter 8. Listen to this one. Jesus went through every city and village preaching and bringing glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him. 
and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, of whom came out seven demons, Johanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, listen to this, who provided for him from their substance. That word substance is a Greek word that means wealth. Now think about that. It doesn't mean a dollar donation. It meant substance. In fact, it's the same word. Remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And he said, sell all you have. And it said he went away sad for he was very wealthy. Same word. These women who had experienced firsthand deliverance from evil, who'd found salvation in unpredictable ways, they, they found that Jesus' ministry was worth everything that they had. And they followed behind the disciples and they said, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? We're gonna fuel this kingdom. You see, it had propelled the ministry of Jesus into the future. I love Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 18. It says, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Isn't it interesting? God is waiting on you to be gracious to you. You know how I think we turn away from the graciousness of God? We don't believe God is a blessing God, that God is an abundant God, that God is a generous God. God says, I'll just wait until you come to that point. You can live in a poverty mindset all you like. You can, you can think other thoughts about what it's all about, but I want you to know I'm waiting graciously on you. But look what it says. Blessed are all those who wait for him and who expect and look and long for him. See, most of our problems that we have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis simply come down to a lack of trust. Is God who he says he is? Will God do what he says he will do? Am I willing to receive that in my life? Do you ever think that sometimes God allows you to, to kind of hit a wall, make a sharp curve for a reason? God wants you to teach you about trust. God wants to teach you about faith. Why do you think God brought you to this point? He brought you to this point so in your weakness you might become strong in him. The easiest and the hardest thing in life is faith. How about that one? It's the easiest thing for me to say, have faith. It's the hardest thing for me to have faith. Because I have to get out of me. I have to get out of all of all of I trust in and all I think is important and all I think works and say, God, just you. Just you, God, will you just work in this situation? And I guarantee you that most people in this room, if not everybody in this room, has something right now that's on your heart that says, I need to trust God. I need to see a miracle. I need to see God work. I'd love to see God do this in my life. I'd love to see God do that in my life. Can you agree that there's something in your life like that? Why, that's what it means to be human, isn't it? It means we don't have it all figured out yet. But guess what, God does, God does. I want you to stand with me and I want you to take that thing that you've got in your heart, whatever it is, that you say, I need to see God work in that. I need to exercise faith in that. I wanna see, I, I've been waiting on God, but I've been waiting with a mindset that says God's not gonna answer me. He only answers other people's prayers. No, no, God answers every prayer that comes from a heart of sincerity and truth that works according to his will, amen? So I want you just to bow your head right now.
And I want you to repeat after me. Dear Jesus, let's all try it together. Dear Jesus, I trust you in my weakness, in my poverty, in my lack for kingdom resources. I trust you to answer my prayer and by faith, right now, I offer it to you. Would you offer it to him right now? Just say, here it is, Jesus. Just in your own time, right now, right where you stand, right where you sit, just offer that to him. I trust you, here it is, Jesus, here it is, Jesus. You know, the, the first point of faith is salvation. The Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The Bible says, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. What does that mean? Rescued out of the claws of sin and death and transported into the kingdom of Almighty God. I want you to pray a prayer like this one, if that's where you are. You say, I'm not sure, Pastor, or I know I'm not a Christian, but I, I want to be sure before I leave this room. Just pray this prayer, and you can pray it right out loud, right, right where you stand or sit. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead according to the scriptures. I believe that you sent your Holy Spirit to give me life. I receive you now as my Lord and my Savior, Jesus. Save me, save me, and write my name in the Lamb's book of life. And then in your own words, just thank him right now. Just thank, just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for doing that. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. If that was your prayer, you received Christ. I want you just to slip your hand up right now. Just slip your hand up. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Amen. I got good news for you. Today is your birthday. Amen. Today's a birthday. You got something to celebrate. All of us have something to celebrate, amen?